Well, hello everybody. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Authentic Fellowship Conference. My name is Hunter Mayo. I serve on the leadership team with John Morrison. All right, let's get started. Before we do get started, let me first acknowledge that most of this material came from Big Me Live, so you get me instead. I'll do my best to impersonate Brad, but Brad really assembled the notes and assembled the message that I'm going to prepare or present to you today. But as we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do bow before your throne. We recognize that you are indeed the sovereign God. Right now, open our hearts, open our minds to grasp the truth of your character. Let the word speak to us, Lord. Allow the scriptures to just penetrate into our minds. Give me wisdom as I speak. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, when I say Memorial Day, what comes to your mind? For some of you, it might be a holiday that you get off a day of work. For some of you, it might be a remembrance of a loved one who may have died serving our country. For some of you, it may be a, a barbecue that you do every year with your family over Memorial Day. Well, for the Mayo family, Memorial Day has a different meaning. Memorial Day 1999 was like any other Memorial Day. I was off of work. We had a barbecue with friends. We got home that evening, and then the phone rang. Phone call from Sherry's father. I answered the phone, and within seconds, he told me what he had to tell me. And that was, Sherry's brother had been lost in the Potomac River as a result of a boating accident. I quickly handed the phone to Sherry, and her father had to tell her the very sad news. From that moment, a dark cloud came over our family. That cloud was there for weeks, months, even years. We had questions, questions that many people have when they come across something like that. Questions like, who are you, God? Can we trust you? If you're a good God, why would you take a 19-year-old young man in the prime of his youth right off the earth? We had questions. And as you engage in authentic fellowship with people around you, they're probably going to have questions too. Questions in times of suffering, just like that. What I hope is that in this session, that we can look to God's word and explore what does God have to say about difficult situations just like the loss of a loved one. I think that I probably would have weathered that storm, our family would have weathered that storm a lot better had we had a firm grasp of God's sovereignty. We were in our 20s, had a young family. I don't think we had a, a good, mature understanding of God's sovereignty at that time. I think it's better now. So let's explore that as we look into the Word. I want to start with a simple definition of God's sovereignty. The idea that God limits, orders, and controls all things for his glory and our good. God limits, orders, and controls all things for his glory and our good. At the root of this is that God is in control. He has absolute rule and control over everything in the universe. He either directly causes something to happen or he consciously allows it to happen. 
There's nothing in history that has, has escaped God's sovereignty. Every molecule in the universe is under the sovereignty of God. See, we'd have a problem. If there was one random molecule just running around the universe, but not under God's sovereignty, we'd have a problem because we wouldn't be just talking about a non-sovereign God. We'd be questioning God in the first place because wrapped up in the character of God is his sovereignty. Having a healthy understanding of who God is requires understanding his sovereignty. Now, as humans, we naturally resist God's sovereignty. Our sinful nature, we, we, we resist it because we want to be in control. Let's, let's admit, we're all control freaks deep down at heart. We don't want to be under the authority of God. We want to control our own life. Now, don't get me wrong. We are free people. We have a free will. We're not just puppets and God's just moving us around. We're not automatons. No, we do have a free will. But remember, in our free will, we would have chosen sin over righteousness every time. It's because of his grace he steps into our lives saves us, and allows us to even be able to choose righteousness. The sovereignty of God should be a great comfort. It should be a great comfort to know that God, in his sovereignty, is measuring out whatever we're going through. And we're going to look in the scriptures to see if that's true. But in contrast, many Christians don't have a firm grasp of this doctrine. And as a result, their suffering is even made more intense. Let's talk about three life-changing truths as a result of God's sovereignty. First, God does whatever he pleases, so your plans have limits. God does whatever he pleases, so your plans have limits. Let's crack open the scriptures and begin to look, and I'm going to be jumping all the way through scripture. So the scripture's in your notes. There's going to be scripture on the screen. We're going to first look at Job 23, 12 through 14. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is unique, and who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things as are with him. Whatever his soul desires, that he does. Job 42, 2. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Now, some translations have no purpose of yours can be thwarted or flicked away. When God says, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. Let's look at the next. Psalm 115, 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth in the seas, and in all the deeps. Ecclesiastes 7.14, And the day of prosperity be joyful. Now most of us wouldn't have a problem with that part of this verse. But in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. We've got prosperity, we've got adversity, and God's appointing them both. Lamentations 3, 37 through 38. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? From the mouth of the Most High that woe, as in woe, that ain't good. Woe 
and well-being. We've got prosperity, well-being. We've got adversity and woe, all coming from the Lord our God. What about Amos 3, 6? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is a calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Calamity in a city. What do we do with September 11, 2001? That's a calamity. New York City, Washington, D.C., small town in Pennsylvania. What do we do with that kind of a calamity and our God? Well, I think the Lord will hold those terrorists accountable for what they did. But we can't say that the Lord couldn't stop it. Somehow, in God's purposes, he allowed that to happen. I can't begin to explain it. I'm not God. But I can rest in knowing that he's the sovereign God who allowed that to happen. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. What we have here in the scriptures is we have all things, both good and tragic, ultimately coming from the Lord. I appreciated when John Morrison was talking about suffering, and he used this example. He said that it's as though God's hand is here, and Satan, the author of evil, is here coming up with his schemes, and he's trying to get to us on the other side. And so as the, these schemes, these evil things come through, they have to pass through the hand of God to get to us. There are probably many times where God's hand is closed, and we don't even know it. But there are times when God opens up the fingers and allows it to come through. But isn't it a comfort to know that that's happening for his glory and our good? Now, this is an incredibly hard doctrine. It's hard to get your mind around the fact that we have a free will, and yet at the same time, God is controlling all things. How can that be reconciled? Well, this is not the only hard doctrine. I mean, explain the Trinity. That's a challenging doctrine. Explain the incarnation, God coming down into a baby's body. Well, the hypostatic union of Christ, he's 100% man, he's 100% God. That's hard to explain. Just add this to your list. It's one more thing that's hard to explain. It's a challenging doctrine, but we can't make up some human-made philosophy to explain away difficult things when clearly the word of God points to the description of God as a sovereign God. Sometimes we just have to rest in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. We can't know everything. We have to trust that God does, and we have to trust him. The sovereignty of God is painted throughout Scripture in bold, brilliant strokes. From, from Genesis to Revelation, the sovereignty of God is shown. God can do whatever he pleases without explanation, without permission, and without apology. God has not revised his plan since he created the universe. He's on plan A. He didn't go to plan B because of something, some poor decision that Hunter made, or any of you made. He's not on plan B. He's on plan A. 
Man's free will can't thwart the plans of God. Now, what do we do with this? I mean, how do we get through this? We think of Job. Job struggled as, as his livestock was taken away, his business was taken away, his family was taken away, his health was taken away from him. He struggled. And in Job 30, he was asking questions of God. You know, God, I was a righteous man. Why did you do this to me? What does God do? God answers Job with 72 questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I divided the land, the seas? I put the large creatures in the ocean. Where were you, Job? And what is Job's response? Job says in Job 42, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I have heard you, but now my eyes see you. Now my eyes see you. He bowed down and he worshiped God. That's what we do. What do we do? We worship the living God. That's our response. You see, when Sherry's brother Brandon died at age 19, we wanted an explanation. We wanted to know why. Why, God? Why would you do this? But he didn't give us an answer. Instead, over time, and it took some time, it did take time, he allowed us to reveal, he revealed himself to us and allowed us to see him in all of his glory. So that today we can rest in knowing that he is the Holy One, the majestic God. And while I don't understand why he did it, I can cling to his sovereignty, cling to his majesty. You see, we have to balance God's sovereignty with the other characteristics of God. We have a sovereign God, but we also have a God who is all loving, wise, powerful. You know, one of the str struggles we have as we deal with God's sovereignty is our, our theme was God limits, orders, and controls all things for his glory and our good. But one of the struggles we have in the evangelical church today is with that definition of good. You know, I bet if I went out, surveyed evangelical churches in the United States, and I said, I said that statement, God limits, orders, and controls all things for his glory and our good, they would probably be nodding their head. I mean, 70% plus, I'm just making a guess, would be saying, yeah, I agree with that. Sounds good to me. But then I said, okay, we'll define good. Most of them are going to come up with the Western definition of good in our culture, which is, Easy, comfortable, and fun, right? And isn't that how we define what's good? Is it easy, comfortable, and fun? But you open up God's definition for good, good equals Christ-like. Was it easy? No. Did it make you more like Christ? Then it was good. Was it comfortable? No. But did it make you more like Christ? Then it was good. My friends, we have a problem creeping into the churches across America. Thinking that for some reason, God is out to make our life easy, comfortable, and fun. But that just isn't true. It's just not true. God is out to make us more like Christ. And if that takes taking people off this earth, if that takes putting us through cancer, 
but it makes us more like Christ, God will allow that to happen. Let's look at Psalm 119. Oh, I skipped some. Let's go through to Psalm 119 here. This, this is a uh, challenging verse, but let's look at this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. What is wrong with this guy? It is good for me that I have been afflicted? That I may learn your statutes. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness you have afflicted me? I mean, many of us would come around and we'll say, in your faithfulness you have given me a decent job. In your faithfulness you have blessed me with children. In your faithfulness you have allowed me to live in a nice house or whatever the case may be. But in your faithfulness you have afflicted me? I know when my head hits the pillow after a day of affliction, I don't say, God, in your faithfulness, you afflicted me. That's not my natural response. But that's a proper response. But look, what, what did the affliction cause this person, the psalm writer, what did this affliction cause them to do? To cling to his, God's statutes and his word. Suffering should drive us to his truth. Because in his truth is where we find the majestic God, who's all-powerful, who loves us dearly, and does things for his glory and our good. I need to back up one more thing that I forgot to say. Just because God is a sovereign God, does that mean we should not even bother planning? Does that mean we should just set aside planning, just live life, whatever's going to happen is going to happen? No, that's not true at all. I mean, God does tell us we should plan. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. We make our plans, but God has the last word. When we plan, there's nothing wrong with planning, but we shouldn't hold on to our plans like this. We should hold on to our plans like this. Set it before the altar of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with planning, but let's lay it before God's throne. All right, so we said God's sovereignty means that, we have to, that our plans have limits. Second truth. God's sovereignty means that there are no accidents, so your pain has a purpose. Your pain has a purpose. We should probably remove the words accidents and luck from our vocabulary. I use those words way too often. But I should probably get rid of those in my vocabulary. Because in God's economy, there are no accidents and there is no luck. Johnny Erickson Tata, many of you who said you've heard of them, heard of her, uh, she had a diving accident as a teenager, and it caused her to be in a wheelchair for her entire life after that point. I think she's in her 60s now, and she absolutely radiates for Christ. Jim Ellis wrote an article, What Does Luck Have to Do With It? And he talked about Johnny Erickson Tata. And that article is in the back of your notes. You can read it later. But he records a question that she received. The question was, how did you make it through the difficult battle with paraplegia? And here's her answer. I think it will surprise you. I quote, I suppose what helped me get through this more than any other thing was reading Lorraine Bettner's 
reformed doctrine of predestination. What? Who gave her that? Reformed doctrine of predestination? But that's what helped her get through it more than any other thing. Why? Because in reading that, she understood that her pain had a purpose. Being wheelchair-bound for the rest of her life after the accident had a purpose. And if you look at her life, if you look at how she radiates for Christ, you can't argue with that. And tens of thousands of people have probably seen her radiate Christ and given God glory because of it. On the scale of radiating for Christ, she's an 11 and I'm about a 3. You don't need arms and legs to radiate for Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should go out from here and begin seeking affliction. Don't worry, they will come. But the truth that we're trumpeting today is when they do come, we have a comfort in knowing that God is the sovereign God who's measuring it out. We can contrast Jim Eliff's article with Rabbi Harold Kushner. You know, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. He had a very difficult tragedy in his life. His son was 14 when he passed away from premature aging disease. Must have been very difficult to watch his son grow up knowing that he was dying quickly. Very hard, very hard. And he wrote a book about his experience and what he concluded about God. And he concluded, very simply, that stuff happens. That the world is chaotic, and that God has a boundary line, and that sometimes things are outside of that boundary line. That was Rabbi Harold Kushner's conclusion. He makes the case that God is a weeping God. He's an all-loving God who loves us, comes alongside, and weeps with us. But I think Rabbi Harold Kushner may not have read all of his scriptures or our Old Testament. Because that's not what we can conclude from Psalm 119 and the other scriptures that we read. Yes, God does weep with us. There's a, there's a Psalm 56.8 that says he puts our tears in a bottle. He does weep with us. But the God of Scripture is way bigger than we can fathom. We can't just make up a man-made philosophy because it, it settles with our hearts and our minds. We have to go to the truth and find the source of our answers in the truth of Scripture. Isaiah 55, 9 and 10, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your, than your thoughts. There's an alternative view. Uh, you've got Johnny Erickson Tata and Jim Eliff and their view that I mentioned about the sovereignty of God and the, our pain having a purpose. There's Harold Kushner's view that we have a weeping God and there's some things that are outside of his control. And then there's the atheist view. Richard Dawkins, who's a leading atheist, anti-God movement, he's an Oxford professor. Look at what he had to say. In a universe of blind physical genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and some people are going to get lucky. You won't find any rhyme or reasoning to it, nor any justice. 
The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. That'll have you drinking hard liquor in no time, won't it? Where's the hope in that? There is no hope. It's just chaos. It's just chaos. Was Johnny, would Johnny Erickson Tata be comforted by dancing to DNA, living in chaos, or Harold Kushner's weeping God? She'd just be a victim, a victim of chaos. But no, she sees her situation as her pain having a purpose from a sovereign almighty God, and she radiates for Christ because of it. That, my friends, is a great example of how we should respond. Cling to God. There's a purpose behind our pain. How should we respond? Let's look at 1 Peter 6 and 7. At times, you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. This is no accident. This is no accident. Job 1, 20 through 23, early in the book, after he lost his children, his property, and his health, he says, Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave me everything I had, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave me everything I have, the Lord has taken away. We tend to think we work for everything I have. We tend to think nobody better mess with that, including God. But our response should be, the Lord gave us everything we had. Another way to respond is to look at the example of Joseph. At the very end of the book of Genesis, Joseph 50 verse 20 is one of the best verses for this. Joseph was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. That would drive you to be pretty frustrated. Then he was in Potiphar's house, having a leadership role there, and Potiphar's wife then falsely accuses him of rape, and so he has to go to jail. So now he's two bad things have happened to him. That should probably drive him into depression. But he doesn't. He gives God glory through it all. Eventually, he rises to power and, and takes care, uh, is in charge of all the food supplies during the famine. His brothers, his family from Canaan, they're starving. And they need to go to Egypt to get food. They come before Joseph, and what is Joseph's response? I mean, he could have just said, you know what? You guys were dirty, rotten little scoundrels. You go back hungry. I'm not giving you any food. But what does he say? This is great. Joseph says, but as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There are some of you out here where people in your life have meant it for evil. It could be your spouse, your boss, co-workers, your neighbors, And they do mean it for evil, but God meant it for good. To accomplish his glory, to to make you more like Christ, 
to cause you to run to him and worship him. God means that for good, to bring about his purpose. The key is in our response. How do we see God in our problems? How do we frame God as we struggle with pain, with suffering, with that boss that treats you inappropriately? How do we respond? Again, we run to him, worshiping him, clinging to his truth. You you decide how you experience joy in life and how you respond to the trials of life. It's your choice. You can find joy in trials. Johnny Erickson Tata found that she didn't need arms and legs to find joy, everlasting joy. Margaret Clarkson experienced a lifetime of suffering, and she wrote, a quote, when we learn to rest in God's sovereignty, we know great inner peace. Our pain may not grow less, our loss may not be restored, our grief may still be ours, but the power to harm us is broken. There's a vast difference between suffering in God's will and suffering apart from that assurance. No Christian needs to do that. God's peace of heart is ours for the taking. When trouble strikes, we must accept it as from God, bringing it to him and telling him that we love and we trust him. We must claim his promise to overcome our evil with his good and trust him to do it in this pain. Practical blessings, too, come with our acceptance of God's sovereignty. When we resist our sufferings, we make life very much harder for ourselves. When we accept them and cast ourselves and our troubles on God, we suffer much, much less intensely. Some of us have wrong thinking about this, that suffering can't be from God. Bad things don't happen to good people. And as a result, when we do suffer, we suffer more intensely. We're kicking against God. I don't like that this is happening to me. But what's Margaret Clarkson saying here is that when we accept it's from the Lord, we can rest. We can find rest in it. It's not going to be easy, but it's not about easy, comfortable, or fun. It's about being more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17 Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are being wasted away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all another paraphrase the message paraphrases that to say we're not giving up how could we even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on the inside where god is making new life not a day goes by without his unfolding grace not a day goes by without his unfolding grace Many of you are saying, I haven't seen God's grace in years. But it's there. It's just passing you by. It's our choice whether we look for that grace or we focus on the suffering. It's our choice. We must choose to dwell on who God is, his character, and worship him, no matter what our earthly circumstances look like. So our first truth was God's sovereignty meant that the means that God does whatever he pleases, so our plans have limits. The second truth was that God's sovereignty means that there's no accidents, our pain has a purpose. And the third truth is that the sovereignty of God means there are no misfits. 
no misfits. God uniquely designed every single one of us. It's just the way that we are. He chose our parents. He chose our place of birth. He chose our physical features. God determined it all. There are no accidents. There's no random chaos. Look at Acts. Oops. Sorry, I messed up my notes here. Well, Acts uh, 17, 26. It's in your notes there. Acts 17, 26. And he has made man, sorry, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. He's determined the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. God designs even things that we might call disabilities. Look at John chapter 9. The disciples are hanging out with Christ and they come across a, a blind man. And they say, okay, Christ, why is this guy blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? And Christ says, no, 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 you guys got this all wrong. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You can see their theology. But you can see Christ correcting them. No, this is for the glory of God. This is for the glory of God. Psalm 139, 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Paul struggled with things. Paul had a thorn in his side. He asked the Lord, Take this away from me, Lord. The Lord says, Not going to do it. Not going to do it. You know what? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul didn't have a life that was easy, comfortable, and fun. He had a thorn in his side. He was in jail a lot. Wasn't a fun life. But boy, did he give God glory. Did he experience joy. Let's look at Exodus 4, 10 and 11. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech. And slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? That's the Lord crafting in the womb. Isaiah 45, 9 through 12. Woe to him who strives or wrestles or fights against his maker. So the clay say to the potter, What are you making? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker concerning the things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. The Lord is the creator. So what have we talked about here? My hope is that You've got a better, firmer understanding of who God is and his sovereignty, the character of who he is. And we can sum it up in this statement. God limits, orders, and controls all things for his glory and our good. And we talked about the fact that good is not easy, comfortable, and fun. Good means Christ-like. We've got to get that out of our mind. We can't let all this Western culture that tells us that we need easy, comfortable, and fun, we need to be reminded that Christ-like is the goal. 
God does whatever he pleases. Whatever is his perfect, acceptable will. Our plans have limits. Go ahead and plan, but hold them with an open hand. There are no accidents, so our pain has a purpose. Isn't it a comfort to know that God's measuring it out, opening his his fingers and allowing that pain to come through? And God does whatever he pleases, so there are no misfits. Each of us has been uniquely designed just the way that we are. As you engage in authentic fellowship with people, you're going to find that they're going to experience struggles, pains, the result of sin from other people, the result of their own sin. My hope is that as you're engaging with them, that you can give them wise counsel on the sovereignty of God. People who are struggling with bosses or coworkers that haven't treated them fairly. It's probably true. They may not have been treated fairly. But how do we accept that? How do we accept that adversity? Prosperity, adversity, all coming from the Lord. I would urge you to counsel your friends with the doctrine of God's sovereignty. So many of us misunderstand God's sovereignty. We've removed God from his throne and it's killing the church. As a result, there's fear, worry, anxiety, even some types of depression because of this cultural God who's off of the throne, who's far from the God of the Bible. We need to put God back on his throne Worship him for who he is, the almighty, powerful, sovereign, wise, good, merciful God of the Bible. Let us pray. Lord, we quiet our hearts now before you, simply recognizing you for who you are the God who brings prosperity, the God who brings adversity, the God who brings woe, the God who brings well-being. Lord, may we wrestle with you. May we simply bow before you, worship you, no matter what comes our way, giving you glory through it all. In Christ's name, amen.